1 John 4, 7 to 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Thank you. (laughs) And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. What is it that leads to a good life? And that's a question I'm sure most of us want some kind of answers to. Well, there is a book called The Good Life, uh, and it gives us at least one answer, a conclusion based on sort of the longest uh, kind of study uh, in this particular field, a study that began in 1938. And this book is written by the two uh, directors of the Harvard Study of Adult Development. And what they say, their research finds, is while there's a number of things that are important, there's one thing that stood out as central. And here's here's a bit of the thesis of the book. It says, through all the years of studying these lives, one crucial factor stands out for the consistency and power of its ties to physical health, mental health, and longevity. Contrary to what many people might think, it's not career, achievement, or exercise, or a healthy diet. Don't get us wrong, these things matter a lot, but one thing continuously demonstrates its broad and enduring importance, good relationships. That's what they're finding is actually crucial for mental health, longevity, physical health. And uh, Robert Waldinger, who's a psychiatrist, one of the co-authors, gave a TED talk. In it, he said, the people who were most satisfied in their relationships at age 50 were the healthiest at age 80. So relationships are important, but what's important, I think, to note is the modifying word, good relationships. Uh, Our interactions shape us, they impact us, they affect us, they mold us, um, and therefore we need relationships. We need people that will care for us and encourage us and be with us and help us and be generous to us. Those things impact us, they shape us. You could be going through a difficult time, but if you're supported, you can face it. 
Uh, if you find that you're constantly being cared for, it, it makes it natural that you would do the same. The problem, though, if we're shaped and impacted by relationships is we are not always in relationships that are characterized that way. We have people who are overly critical and are sharp. We have people who are harsh and insulting. We have people that are unreliable, who are not truthful to us, people who are using us, manipulating us. And we're also impacted and shaped by that. It can take everything out of us, making it hard to face simple things. It could also uh, make us cynical so that we become like the people who are mistreating us. You get a sense of that's just how to get through in the world. If you can't beat them, join them. And so uh, while relationships have such potential for good, we live in an imperfect world and therefore we will always have to figure out how to deal with problems in relationships, problematic interactions, uh, or otherwise we will go in that downward spiral. So if you look in literature of the various feuds that are never ending, uh, Huckleberry Finn and Romeo and Juliet and these other uh, great stories where you have these warring parties that no longer remember why they're angry, but they just know it's our turn to exact revenge. It's easy for your interactions to shape you in that direction. Uh, and Christianity is meant to do something profound and radical in each individual's lives and in the world. And one of the ways that happens is by changing individuals who then relate differently. So in 1 John, in the passage that we read, the opening verse and the closing verse of the scripture reading, verse 7, beloved, let us love one another. So notice he's addressing people as those who are loved. That's actually important in how he thinks. But, but here's his encouragement. Let us love one another. And then in verse 21, it's a commandment. This commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And it would be fair to translate that brother or sister. What's in view is not gender, but actually the church. And so while Jesus tells us to love all people, even our enemies, he envisions the church community as a family that's meant to be characterized very differently through, uh, through loving as God has loved us. And so we're in a short series, a sermon series for four weeks on four relationships, God, self, others, and the world. Today we're on the third where we're looking at how we relate to others. And what I want to talk about today is how God's love comes to imperfect people who then relate to others out of what they have received from God. And so to look at this, I want to talk about three things, imperfect people, a perfect God, and perfecting relationships. So first, imperfect people. This is where the problem is. All of us are imperfect and all of us are interacting. And one thing that goes wrong can poke and provoke and bring out the worst in us rather than the best in us. And that's why things can so quickly decline. Um, because we're shaped by our interactions and we're not perfect, we have to find our way in the world uh, to, to, to be strengthened, but also to change the direction of things. The, the word perfect that I'm picking up on in the sermon is all throughout this passage, but it doesn't mean flawless as some of us think that uh, it, it means, but, but there's an incompleteness when something is imperfect. It's not yet been realized. And therefore, there's something about humanity that some of us feel genuine loving feelings that we're just not acting on where some of us really do loving things, but in it is bundled some self-serving desire. There's something that lacks fullness in human relationships, and therefore, we are interacting and being shaped by these imperfect relationships, which then can bring out the worst in us. 
So in this point, I'm going to focus on verse 18, where it says, fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There's something that falls short in human love. And one of the ways we know it is by the symptom of fear. Um, but fear is indicating any number of things. But one is that we tend to relate to other people uh, with this category of punishment. And it's not explicit in everywhere, but it's certainly in some places. Uh, we need to have a justice system that punishes offenders. And um, maybe um, some of you feel like that language is appropriate to characterize certain things, a child who misbehaves, for example. Um, but if you read parenting literature, sometimes at least in English, there's a distinction made between the concept of punishment and the concept of consequences. And I think just as, as sometimes that's discussed, it may help clarify what it is that's wrong in us and what it is that we need to be doing. Punishment can be self-serving. It's about my losing control and needing to get control. It's about my being angry and my wanting to express that anger. It could be vengeful at times. And even if we think of a just punishment, there's always the danger that um, if we don't carefully structure things, that it really is just about control and venting anger. Consequences are different. So boundaries are helpful. They're healthy. And if boundaries are crossed, there needs to be uh, effects to it. So, so the vision for Christianity is not that love is so much so that we have no opinions, that we allow me people to mistreat us. Uh, but there's a warning that our selfishness, or our frustration, our need for control is going to contribute to the problem that we will become punishing people. And so, for example, with children, yes, parents need to, to create boundaries, to have rules, and to hold children accountable. But is there a difference between punishment and consequences? I'm a parent of three kids, and I know what it's like to be overwhelmed by something. You're just tired. You're not sleeping well. You're exhausted. You have a lot of pressures. Uh, life is getting increasingly complicated. And in a moment where you're trying to do something uh, and you give instructions to a child to give you some space and they keep intruding, it provokes anger. And maybe it's a justified anger, but I know for myself that I needed to have a clear plan so that that anger didn't move from justified to spilling over that line. So punishment often is about go to your room and stay there for a half hour. Why? Because I'm angry and I just need to be left alone. And look, that happens. And, and in a healthy family, there's grace for those kinds of incidents. But the plan should be more about not punishment, not about your needing to know how bad you are. You're needing to sit and think about what you did to me. That doesn't form children well. But to have consequences to say, look, here, here's how we do things for a healthy family. And so if we have a, a policy that says electronics could be good, but just don't take that iPad into your room without permission and close the door. So now when I open the door and see you there, one reaction could be, how dare you defy me? You're losing the iPad. Um, it's a subtle difference, but it's, a, it's an important difference to open the door and say, hey, look, this is not what we agreed to do. And therefore, because you're not complying, I now need to take the iPad away and you're not going to get it for another two days. And let's think about that. Let's talk about that. That sounds like a wonderful thing to do as we're sitting here while the kids are up on the third floor. Um, but in that moment, that's where the, the plan is needed. But it's, it's, so it makes more sense to us because parents have a responsibility for children. So that's why I'm starting there. But that it evidences how we are relating to others. 
It's one of the problems with institutions, but it also, it goes everywhere in relationships that are meant to be equal. So if you think about roommates or siblings, family members, or romantic partners, uh, that, that instinct to punish because your pride is being provoked because you need to have control, um, it's unhealthy. Um, that doesn't mean we don't need to have boundaries. There are consequences. If you mistreat me, if you're constantly criticizing me, and I'm clear that I understand this, uh, to create a line to say, look, if you're going to keep criticizing me every time I call you, I'm not going to call you as often. That's not selfish. That's clear and responsible. It's different from, you know, telling somebody off and, and hanging up on them. And it's that fine distinction we're not good at, but, but where we have evidence that we're not good at it is the presence of fear. If I'm not perfect for my boss, I'm going to lose my job. If I'm not uh, pleasing my parents, uh, they will uh, not accept me. The presence of fear is usually a red flag. And it can be anywhere. And, and if it's there and you address it, often progress could be made as you understand boundaries, as you, as you try to relate in a more healthy way. But if you are in a relationship where you're afraid that a slight mess up uh, will bring great consequences. Um, that's something that you need to be aware of and need to address. And, and some of you may actually be aware that there's fear present in a particular relationship that you might need professional help or consultation to make sense of, is this um, my insecurity? Or actually, is this a situation that's problem problematic enough that I need some help to fix? Um, that's the complicated nature of the world is that in our failure to love with fullness or incompleteness, how we bundle our selfishness into things, we relate in ways that, that we create these rules of, of engagement that try to avoid punishment and we live with fear and it's not healthy. We're being offered a different way forward. And so in verse 20, uh, where the people who have received the message of Christianity are being challenged uh, is, is along the lines of this in this passage. He says, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. There's meant to be something profound about our connecting with God and coming to know God that is supposed to shape us enough that it then shapes reshapes who we are in the world. And look, we're slow to change, slow to grow. But this is important to say, if you, if you say you love God, but you're allowing a hatred of people to remain, that there's something wrong there. So, so that imbalance where the Christian vision is that, that all of these relationships, who you are, God, self, and then how you relate to the world is meant to come together. Uh, we might be able to tell the secular humanist, the person who doesn't believe in God, that if you feel like you're loving people, but you don't know the God who is portrayed as the God of love, you may find that actually you're, there's an imperfection, there's a falling short. Your concept of love may be self-determined or culturally bound. And therefore, if you really want to be loving, we want to encourage you to understand the nature of God's love. But the passage is not for us to critique the world. The passage is coming into the church to critique religious people. Um, because on the one hand, it's easy um, uh, where we can't deal with the reality of relationships. We can't allow uh, people to be who they are because then we feel like we lose control. And so for some, because they've been burned religiously or whatever the case is, the easiest thing is just to say God doesn't exist. 
um, but to be unchanged by the reality of God and therefore to relate to people without the benefit of being challenged and changed. The religious problem is to find that in interacting with people who when I say something to, they speak back a word that shows me that I'm wrong. The temptation is to then go to God and relate to God in a way that God is also not able to be himself. And therefore, we're not being shaped <clears throat> by the scriptures, by God's word. We're not allowing the community to challenge us, but in the same way that a non-religious person can project their desires onto a human being, religious people do that as well, religious people are uh, vulnerable to projecting our desires onto God. And if in our interpersonal relationships, we are not humble enough to be challenged, to be able to grow, it does raise the question, is it that we know God and his love, or is it that... Um, we're just wanting to keep God contained into, into our own desires and expectations. Well, then we will not grow. And so one thing is just to think about, are, are you somebody that people can disagree with, that you can be, you could find out things are wrong and reflect on it and grow and get challenged? The nature of the Christian life is that happens in the context of God's grace, but through reading the word, going out into the world, there's a constant challenge that will come up that will challenge you theologically. Wait a second, <laughs> I don't understand God. I don't know if I like this new thing about God that I'm learning. And if your tendency is to cut off somebody that you don't like whenever you don't like them, well, then you're never going to allow uh, the, the uh, Christian formation, the reality of God in your life to change you. Now, this is hard. It's complicated. And I'm moving towards uh, where I think we get help. But I just want to pause there to say we are imperfect people. And God wants to grow us. But that growth requires truth. It requires genuine engagement. It requires reflection. It requires humility. It requires help. And so uh, we are imperfect people. Uh, but I now want to talk about the second thing, which is God, a perfect God. And that portrayal is there, which is not that God is perfect and that he's everything you want God to be. Uh, the reality is God is so good, he's beyond what you could fathom, and that's actually what you most need for your own ongoing growth. And yes, there will be periods of discouragement, of fear, uh, but the faithful always say, but as I waited it out, as I sought the scriptures, as I prayed, as I watched, over periods of time, I found that actually I grew in my understanding of what goodness is, what love is, and therefore God is even better than if I would have invented him myself. And that relationship, when the relationship is of that nature, not only are you growing spiritually, but you're being formed for your physical embodied relating to others. So verse 7 says, love is from God. There's something essential here. If we want to know what true love is, it's not by watching uh, romantic films. It's not by um, simply doing surveys. But there's something about the nature of God who is the source, who brings something uniquely into our world. And so love is from God. But the problem is we don't see God. And therefore, in verse 9, it says, in this love, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And, and here's the story of scripture, that it's not that we loved God, but that our love was imperfect, it was incomplete, we betrayed God. And God had a boundary, you cannot stay in my presence if this is how you will treat me. And so there's a separation, but that verse talks about the love of God being made manifest. God is invisible. 
but everything important is invisible. Love is invisible. And we look at visible people, and this is one of the things that it's warning about, and you're interpreting things such that you're able to hate that person, uh, but then you don't know anything of the invisible love of God that you're meant to bring to this relationship. And so we're reading into things, and so what we have here is an invisible God with his invisible love, but it's made manifest. So this is why the Christian message is so important. Jesus is sent into the world. Why? Because he is the Son of God, because he is the one who loved us. And therefore, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what love is really like, we look to the one who comes and brings out the perfection of it, who embodies it. And the Christian message is, is an important one, but it's a transformative one because it says to imperfect people, your job is not to become perfect. Your job is to receive this profound life-changing love that will renew uh, and change you. So verse 10 says, it's not that we have loved God, but it's that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that word propitiation, it's a theologically rich word. It has to do with what Jesus accomplished when he went to the cross, but it has to do with satisfying God's anger. If God is a God of love, you would expect any loving being to get angry when things go wrong. You would expect a father seeing uh, his child bullied to get angry at that. You'd expect somebody who has people come over their home uh, and the people decide that they're gonna start breaking things because it would be funny. It would be a, an understandable response to be angry. At that point, you're not being petty. God, as a loving God, uh, no doubt gets angry with the ways that we mistreat one another with the violence, with the war, with the lies, with the corruption, all of these things. It's understandable that if God is love, that's a fundamental attribute, that God who is loving would be angry with how terribly we are falling short of his wonderful standard. What we're told is that that love of God comes into the world, crosses the boundary embodied in the sun in order to deal with it. So what happens when the sun comes near for us to hear an invitation to receive the love of God? Well, we rejected Jesus. Jesus was nailed to a cross. He was punished. Uh, the, the cross was an ancient Roman device for punishing criminals and sending a message to the world not to uh, be unfaithful to this governing body. Jesus came into the world and we punished him. This word propitiation talks about uh, the nature of sacrifice as you see it in the Old Testament system in the temple where there were offerings. The New Testament tells us those offerings were signs. <clears throat> they were meant to point us to a reality that Jesus came into the world to make the love of God manifest. And we punished him but this is the nature of the love of God, that, that God bears that punishment. And in that, the righteous anger of God is satisfied as this confrontation between God and humanity is climactic in history. God sends Jesus into the world, uh, the son of God who came to love us, and we reject and pour our contempt and hostility on us. And what we're told is in bearing that, God is then able to offer us forgiveness, that our purpose is to punish and God's purpose is to reconcile. And it's that that John says none of us are fully grasping because the more we grasp and grow in that, the more we become free of, of all of the things that are keeping our love from growing and the more that the love of God is poured into us. 
And so, for example, in verse 18, it speaks of this perfect love coming from this perfect God, casting out fear. It's with that emptiness that we, we don't feel filled with love, with, filled with goodness, that what fills the void? Any number of things, but, but fear, and fear becomes the problem. <laughs> and so we focus on the problem, and, it's, and we should. We should confront our fears, um, but sometimes we become so focused on them that they overtake us. And the picture here is a bit different. The picture is if your life is filled with fear, then it's empty of what belongs there. But in the same way that God has given us his son, in verse 13, it says very importantly, he has given us his spirit. Jesus, the propitiation, the one who takes this wrath, who bears this punishment, is the one who gives up his spirit so that he can then, having risen from the dead, pour out his spirit into your life and so that life-giving spirit comes in and then squeezes out all of the things that are inhabiting our empty hearts, uh, the fear, the anxiety, the bitterness, the resentment. And so the spirit is poured out by this loving God because God is a God who loves us, not because of what we have done, not because of our measure of perfection, but because it's the nature of God. And that's the important thing to grasp because of our own imperfection and because of the way that we relate, because of our fear of punishment, when we think of people, if I say the wrong thing, that person's gonna tell me off. If I say the wrong thing twice, they're gonna cut me off. That must be like what God is like. And the picture is entirely different, God is love. God does not desire to cut you off, God desires that you would return. So why are you keeping yourself separated and cut off because of your fear? And this is what helps the perfectionist. Uh, those of us who think I really need to at least meet a certain measure and so look, it's fine if I don't get an A plus as long as the average is C. So then I'm happy with grading on a curve. That makes sense. That, that God would see my imperfection, but as long as I'm better than other people, I will be welcome. And what we're told is that the paradigm is entirely wrong. The picture here is that God is perfect, that his love is perfect, but it's not that we will start to love once we meet his perfection. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. The question is not, are you good enough right now to receive the love of God? The question is, is it true that love is from God and God actually is that loving? See, that reframing is essential because if you're waiting till you're good enough to earn the love of God, the biblical answer is you will never be good enough. But if it doesn't depend on you and what you do, but if it depends on God who loves, then you can be far worse than you desire or whatever you think uh, is the right standard. But it depends not on who you have been or what you do. It depends on God who is love and who loves those who don't love him. And it's that which then fills us and frees us so that we are able to love others. We love because he has loved us. There's a new foundational interaction. And in verse seven, it talks about those who have been born of God. If you read John's theology and the gospel and his letters, uh, this spiritual renewal is not simply an understanding that we have a good idea that we put into effect, but it's, it's like life from the dead. It's like we are born anew, which means that whatever the forming interactions you had, whether they were from when you were one years old or 10 years old or 25 years old, uh, what seems to be defining your identity and how you interpret the world, it's not that those things don't matter because they're part of your story, but, but you're being redefined by a God who loves you. 
and therefore you no longer need to live up to the standards of others, even if you haven't seen them for 20 years, but their voice is still influencing you, and you don't need to assume that those are the normative standards. And so what we have instead is this new life to say, God will continue to love you, so remain with him. And as you're being filled, you are a new creation, and therefore, the task of the Christian is to practice these new habits. You have these old habits. This is whatever I do when somebody responds this way to make sure I get the outcome. And now it's kind of like, you know what? I didn't do anything deserving of God's love and he loved me. What would it be like to go and try to be that in the lives of other people? That I'm just gonna have love be something I give, not something I insist on receiving from them in some kind of an exchange. And that's when we're set free. So the last thing I wanna talk about is perfecting relationships. So we are imperfect people. We serve a perfect God. We don't see his perfection yet because we have so much growing to do, but there is a perfecting of our relationships as there is a perfecting of us. So we are not made perfect in this life. It's good to aim high. It's, it's good to really want to, to, to grow deeply and thoroughly. We have to deal with our existence as imperfect people. We're still impatient. We're still selfish. But the question is, are we growing? And the presentation of John, along with the testimony of the scripture, is if you are growing with God, you are growing. And so you are not yet perfect, although in some divine outside of eternal way, you are made perfect because you stand with Christ. But in applying that of real learning and putting into life, there is a perfecting that needs to happen. And one of the means God uses is your relationships. So you come to know God, and now you take that and you try to make that consistently how you relate to others. And it's hard. It doesn't seem to work in the world. You have your old habits. Um, but the question is, if you keep returning to God for his grace, will he give you what you need to go back out and to keep trying to grow and to change? And so in verse 20, where it says, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. So we don't want to stay here as religious people who are telling the world the reason you hate us is because there's something wrong with you, not because we're a bunch of arrogant people. And uh, what we want instead is to say, if there's something that's not working, let's make sure we're going back to God, being shaped by him and going back into the world. And if we're confident that we're loving with his love and it's not being received, that's fine. Um, but we need to do that work. So we cannot continue to hate one another and say we love God. But verse 21, the commandment we have from him is whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so, so what we have in John, there's a word abide that appears in this passage and appears throughout, which is remaining with God. And that's the issue is if you say you love God and then you go into the world and in that interaction, you're, you're responding with vengeance and pride. Well, then at that point, it, it doesn't seem like you're remaining rooted and grounded in God. So maybe you have a good hour and a half with God in church and then seven, six days of, of, uh, of going out separate from God and functioning in the world is meant to be a coherence. God has loved us. God invites us into a family, and we need to be a community that's encouraging this. And so the call to remain is to remain in the source. Don't keep looking to people to love you, and if they don't love you, it's not good enough, and then so you'll respond by punishing them. But keep looking to God who loves you consistently, who will help you every time you fail down, and uh, every time you fall down and fail, come back, remember the grace of God, and then take that and bring it with you into the world and try to Try to give it away. That's how we, uh, how love is made perf perfect. The imperfection of it is it stays in our head. I have this concept, but I'm not doing it. It stays in our hearts. I feel it, but I'm not embodying it. 
Um, but Jesus came into the world, the Son of God who embodied God's love. And so we're sent into the world, imperfect people who can take his perfect love and do it. And then we're raising the bar. We're increasing the reality in our life because he is abiding in us. As an example of, of this, if you, uh, if you buy an espresso machine, uh, one option you can have is to, uh, to hire a plumber, to drill a hole in your uh, counter, to run a line from the sink into your machine. Most people don't want to do that. So uh, most coffee machines, including espresso machines, you have to constantly refill it with water. And you know, you go to the cafes and they keep the, the cups on the top to keep them nice and warm. And then you have to take 15 cups off and fill it with water every, every 10 cups uh, and then refill it. Have you ever seen anybody changing the water in a cafe? You don't. Um, at home, if you're serving two drinks and every week you have to fill it with water or you have people over and you serve 10, it's fine to refill it. In a cafe, uh, you can't refill after every 10 drinks when people are ordering 100 drinks an hour. So in the cafe, they will connect that machine invisibly. You can't see it because uh, nobody wants tubes all around, but, uh, but they will connect that machine to a water source. So as long as people are asking for drinks, uh, it keeps coming. Most of us are approaching relationships where we're going into the world uh, and we're maybe feeling like today I'm full because I just filled up with water. I'm ready to love everyone, but I love that person. I love that person. Ten people later, I'm done. I need somebody to love me. Uh, and now it's, you know, this mess of I need to take the cups off and all of this stuff. And we're constantly feeling tired and burning out. But what, what John is saying is, are you abiding? Are you remaining? Have, have you connected deeply to God so that there's a constant source uh, that his spirit in you is, is with you every time you go into the world so that you're not, the thing that you have to give is not yourself and your kindness and your patience, but it's the love of God poured into you that you're then seeking to share. So in verse 16, it talks about abiding. How do we abide? Well, one of the practical ways we remain with God is by doing what God does. And if God has loved us, you remain with him in the world by loving people who may not love you. And that's really hard. But verse 17, this is how love is perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. So his love casts out fear. The confidence for the day of judgment is um, as, as you start to do this and you realize actually it is possible to really love people generously. It grows your confidence to say, if God who is perfect can do it, and I'm imperfect, and yet I can do it, you, you grow in your confidence, maybe God really will welcome me uh, despite my flaws. And the confidence comes from, from taking what God has put into your life and bringing it to fullness by embodying it. He sends us into the world to serve this invisible God with this invisible love, but through your visible person. And so when you're abiding in God and his spirit is at work, you go into the world, um, when you practice it, your confidence in all things grows, that you can be in a world that doesn't accept you, that you can serve a God who you believe will accept you. Um, <clears throat> but that paradigm, as he is, so also are we in the world. Quite profound, a lot there to think about. But for today, the simple thing is, if God is loving, then that is who we are to be in the world. If that's who he is, and we abide in him, and we've received his love, then we also are to be 
that in the world. And therefore, as you go into the world, you have to recognize um, in the same ministry of Jesus, Jesus announced good news. He loved people. He healed them. There's one where he heals 10, only one comes back. <clears throat> so the ratio is not what we want, but, but someone came back and people were hostile to Jesus and rejected him. But eventually the very people who rejected him, some from the number realized they were wrong and returned. And this is the nature of God in the world. He comes into the world, um, not responding to us, but, but calling us to respond to him, bringing his love thoroughly. And eventually over time, it makes its way into the world. And as he is, we also need to be in the world, which means there needs to be a thorough love that comes from us. And sometimes you will see it. It's welcomed, it's received, it's appreciated. A lot of times people will miss it. Sometimes people will re repay your kindness and generosity um, problematically. <clears throat> we know that we're imperfect people in an imperfect world. You will be better off if you're strengthened not to go back into punishment mode when that happens, but what that person should be giving you, but they're not to return to God and to remember his grace, to remember that foundational reality that when we rejected him, he still loved us. And therefore you can go to him and remember uh, his perfect love will help you in your imperfect situation. And then you can go back out and keep giving it, whether or not it's received. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in a fancy chocolate store in Midtown and imported, I like chocolate. And uh, I'm a high value person. So I looked at an expensive box and, it, you know, I'm always willing to splurge for, for, a, for a treat. I did the math. I was thinking it, that's about $5 a piece, not a box of chocolate bars. It was these beautiful, tiny chocolates that I thought were about $5. You know, you could go to Trader Joe's and for $5. And the, the Trader, it, it's good. So if you have people over and you have the Trader Joe's things, they like it, they don't like it, you're getting good value. You know, do you spend $100 for a box of 15 or 20 chocolates and just a random group of people that came over, feed them to them? because there's gonna be a lot of people that are like, these are great, but what they mean is these are great in the same way that the dark chocolate peanut butter chips, uh, 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 peanut butter cups at, at Trader Joe's are great. So you're not getting more value for it. There's always gonna be some discerning person that thinks, wow, this is among the best chocolates I've had. And then there's that person that just wants you to give them a Twinkie. This is bitter, what is this random thing? And you're like, you know, and, and they're thinking, I must have gotten the bad one as they're reaching for the second one. And you're like, don't take another $5 chocolate. Uh, I think it's clear that you don't appreciate these. There's something about the generosity to be able to go and say, you know what, uh, come. And some of you are going to recognize this is great. A lot of you won't, but, but, but we're sharing this together and you'll be glad for it. And somebody here might be better off with a second bowl of soup. But uh, I'll give you the bowl of soup because we're, we're friends and family here. There's something about God's love that is... Uh, it's not as efficiently delivered as a guy like me would like. He's very generous. And often we don't see it, we don't appreciate it, we repay his kindness with our own frustration. But most of the time, if you draw near to God, you get it enough that you, you value it. Uh, but there's that, that perfecting that at some point you cross a line where you realize actually God is really giving something here that, that we're not getting anywhere else. And that's the Christian path, that, that God is patient. He, he loves us while we're not getting it, but he's drawing us near so that his love, we, we realize the depth and profundity of it. And then he says, as this is how I am, so this is who you are becoming. So as you go into the world, be that, and people will rudely take your kindness, generosity, your encouragement, and squander it. 
but don't stop giving it to the world. <laughs> Some people won't recognize how much you're sacrificing, but keep loving them, it's doing them good. But you'll find that your relationships really deep and when that's consistently who you are, there's always gonna be somebody that says, wow, I want to spend more time with this person because they, they, they know me, they love me for who I am. Who does that? And that's where you could say, well, Jesus Christ does that. That's what I'm trying to do for you. And that's how these relationships work together. God has loved us with that kind of love and he's transforming you if you will receive it, if you'll believe it. And he's sending you into the world and it may work, it may not work, but you need it. So keep loving generously, give love into the world, the love that God has given to you, uh, and you'll see his wisdom in it. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we so need this, we don't even understand the depth of it. And some of us here are having trouble connecting with it. We're overwhelmed by something, Lord, by that spirit, open our eyes to see something of the goodness that it would, uh, would cast fear out. We pray, Lord, for the casting out of fear from our hearts and the filling of that peace that passes understanding. And, and those of us that are just living the ordinary Christian life, help us to grow, that, that we would deepen in your love, that we would abide more firmly and fully in you. And Lord, may those who are mature in our midst bear patiently with the rest of us. And Lord, bring to this community people who will love as Christ has loved. Uh, and we pray that we would be a community that encourages one another. So every time we go back out uh, to school and to work and to our friends and to our family, we take your love with us so that we can give it. Lord, um, we're not ready for it this week, but here we are. Fill us and uh, send us out. And Lord, bless us that we would be as you are in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.